0: Sonic States. Not called.
1: Sonic Talk number 163. This is going to be live on oh, Thursday, the 4th of February. 2010 um obviously you can be listening to us live in the chat room if that's what you want um we do recommend it it's quite good fun you get a live stream and you also get to participate in a flash chat room or irc, or IRC um, depending on how you um how you, what flavor you want to take it and you just have to go to sonicstate.com forward slash live 4 p.m on a wednesday afternoon which is uh, when we do it so uh, hello welcome to my guest unfortunately we've been trying to get PJ if anyone knows anything about Skype for some reason PJ can't talk to anybody um, but he can hear us And we don't really know what's going on there. Um, So, um, if there's any Skype experts, maybe they can help us uh, somehow in the future. Maybe not when we're live, though. So, um, but hello and welcome to my live guests. Uh, I'll start with Rich Hilton, who's uh, in sunny Connecticut. Rich Hilton, of course, is a high profile and um, prestigious recording engineer, musician, producer, live player, all of those things from straight out of Connecticut in the US. How are you doing, Rich? I'm good good glad to hear you when, so- when
2: i look in the menu when i look in the mirror my profile keeps growing <laughs> yes
1: I, I can relate to that i can relate to that very much actually. kind of like alfred hitchcock yeah <laughs> myspace.com forward slash hiltonius for all your hiltonius needs and the other chuckle you heard there was dave spears from G4Software dot software.com how are you dave Oh, I'm all right. Thank you. Uh, were you saying that you're in um, patch creation mode for the Imposca Two? Because we can now talk about it. It's not a synth that whose name cannot be mentioned.
0: No, it never really was. Perhaps it should have been for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Now I've been doing a uh, yeah, some more sounds. It's hard to drag myself away from it actually. Because I kind really? think, okay, enough, 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 and then I kind of go, oh, actually, I'll just try this. So yeah, bumper, bumper pack of um, patches really.
1: Excellent. Well, I, actually, uh, speaking of synths, I pulled out the Jupiter-6 today and uh, thought I'd fire it up and see if it worked, and it uh, it did. And uh, even with headphones on, you're sort of going, oh, doesn't that sound nice? Yeah. So I think, is. hmm. There is, it's when you kind of go to a... a, a a software version, or a, another version, or a DSP version of of any other synthesizer—they they do sound great because they're designed to sound good. But when you hear the hardware, you sort of go, "Oh yeah, there is a there is a certain something that um, that I, I I haven't heard from a while." Although I can't think of any, there aren't any Jupiter six virtuals, are there? Nobody's done one uh, of those, not that I'm aware of. No Jupiter, Jupiter eight.
0: Oh, there's the eight. There's yeah. the eight.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, but not the six. The I don't 6 know why still you still
0: got VCOs, isn't it?
1: Uh, I, can, I can tell you, I'll just go and have a look. Yeah. VC, two VCOs.
0: I think it was The Last of the VCOs.
1: Yeah, VCA, VCF, <laughs> LFO, all of that stuff.
0: Sounds the
1: Last so of the
2: VCOs sounds like... It sounds, sounds funny, like it's something. like a movie, it's a, movie, <laughs> a romantic movie title.
1: <laughs> the Last of the VCOs. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like maybe it could be a, a sort of crime thriller um, about synths and possible um, floating of uh, large public companies. And funding,
2: (laughs) that's the Michael Moore version. The VCs, you see, the
1: VC part, VCO, the VCO, the the, what's the what are they the the CEO the CEO? There's there's all of that stuff in there. Plenty of business acronyms or whatever in there.
0: If it's got CFO, you're in trouble. Chief (laughs) Chief
1: Financial Oscillator. Chief Financial Oscillator. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. it. I think that's yeah. it. I think
2: we're getting there, aren't we? I really? think we need to get Oliver Stone and Michael Moore on the phone and start a bidding war. Read <laughs> my remake Avatar. Except this time it's around a guitar synth that was... <laughs> <laughs> Read my Avatar and it's a big set of lips. <laughs> it's the Avatar.
1: <laughs> well, I suppose uh, last week we, we opened with the uh, conjecture and hype surrounding Apple's iPad, Ibuprofen, I whatever we thought it was going to call it. It d- turns out it was called the iPad, which uh, seems to have um, caused a certain amount of um, alienation amongst uh, women IT journalists for some reason. Because I think in the USA, a pad is uh, it's a feminine hygiene project product. <laughs> and so that's less to much, con- much conjecture that perhaps there were no women on the naming committee for this particular device. But that's really minor when it comes to uh, the actual spec. We know what it is. What is it? A 9.7-inch LED backlit glossy display, which, unfortunately, it's not an OLED, which is what everybody was hoping for, but uh, I think the point was that was going to be way too expensive. 1024 by 768, 132 DPI or pixels per eye, PPI. Uh, Finger-resistant, oleophobic... Oleophobic? That sounds like something that you shouldn't be proud of, doesn't it? Support for... uh, (laughs) Display multiple languages. It uh, comes in the 16-gig Wi-Fi version, starting at 499 which was kind of what the big shock was. It was the price, wasn't it? Going up to 699 for a 32-gig, 629 for a 16-gig with Wi-Fi and 3G. You stick a card in it, and it becomes that, um, and it's you know a connect v- over wi- wireless broadband. A uh, 64-gig for 829 This is all dollars. I don't know what it's going to get to by the time we get uh, through to the UK. Probably not far off those prices. But, you know, I suppose now we know what it is. Has it changed our opinions in any way? Is there any sort of um, uh, concept that uh, we're perhaps thinking this could be good for, for what we need it for?
0: Um, I must have missed this. What is it?
1: Uh, I think it's a new piece of hardware for Apple. <laughs> Apple, <yeah. laughs> Jesus.
0: It was, it was amazing, wasn't it? You could not go on the interweb without somebody talking about it. It was just amazing. You had to be impressed. Just that part of it. With that part of it, at least.
1: Yeah, the, no, it was. Well, it was even on. Right. It was even on
0: P- News Twenty Four. Yeah, no, I'm quite excited about this. Actually, weirdly yeah? enough, yeah. What do you What do you think's going to work? Really funny when I was doing the eye drum thing that i kept thinking. You know, this would be brilliant on a bigger screen, like the kind of Lemus type vibe. And actually, I think from a kind of, I think we're just going to see the kind of the evolution of a new control surface in terms of music. Somebody's going to use it really cleverly. And I think there are going to be some pretty cool things come out for it. So, yeah, on that front, I was, I'm was kind of quite excited about it. You can imagine sort of four or five of them around you triggering different things.
1: Well, at that price, you almost could, couldn't you? I mean, I have to say, the first thing I thought of, and I think actually um, uh, the people on the Future Music blog were thinking the same thing because I noticed a tweet from them was, you know, if you imagine um, the Jazz Mutant Lima or Dexter pr- um, ported to the device, because you think about it, you buy the device, it's 400 bucks. You, even if you paid 100 bucks for the, uh, uh, an, An application that would run the Jazz Mutant kind of style of uh, programming environment—it's cheaper than buying the actual device itself. I mean, whether or not I'd be fast enough over Wi-Fi, but I mean, you've got to think. I mean, if I was them, I'd be developing like crazy, going right. We need to port all of this because you know you can still use the same development environment. Presumably, you just compile templates to load into it. That's—they—they got to do that, man. That just seems like a no-brainer. I hope they can.
0: yeah, it'd be very good. Because the, Le-
1: the Lima and the uh, Dexter, I thought, were absolutely brilliant. But, you know, the, the, the main problem was they, were, they weren't they were quite brilliant enough to warrant the amount of money that they cost. You know, it was more of a luxury than a necessity at that price. Whereas, you know, if they can figure out a way to take advantage of this technology and the mass production it's going to bring, then maybe they'll be able to actually make a, a load more money than they had trying to, you know, selling the, the, the actual hardware stuff. Or maybe it'll go hand in hand. I hope so. That'd be really cool.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: But yes, as you say in the chat room, Rich, it's a big iPod touch. And there's no there's no real and there's no other way of um saying that. That's exactly what it is, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And to one extent well, first of all, I, I just said it in the chat room and I'll say it here. It's exactly what I said it would be. Um but what I'm disappointed about – I'm very impressed actually and I think it's actually uh, – contrary to other people, I think it's expensive. I, it gets expensive almost immediately when you get to 32 gigabytes and then if you want to put uh, wireless you know, or uh, 3G in there, rather 3G, it's another 160 bucks or something. Um, so I actually think it's too expensive. But besides that, I was hoping for more I.O. Oh, well, Even yeah, something we along the lines of what was in the MacBook Air, although I'd prefer something along the lines of what's on the side of my friggin' laptop because then it replaces my laptop functionally. But right now, it becomes an iPod I can't put in my pocket, <laughs> but I can read a book on unless you've got pockets like Captain Kangaroo and you Americans will know who I'm talking about. Cargo pants. Yeah, well, no, Captain Kangaroo was this television character from, when, from 50 years ago or something when, who had these enormous pockets on his jacket he could put an <laughs> ipad in his pocket you know 50 years later but uh but it's it's a very it's a wonderful product it's a big eye touch i love my eye touch I, I it's right next to me now it comes with me everywhere i go and i use it constantly would i want to bring that thing around i don't know maybe if it had enough io to replace my laptop functionally then sure
1: it beats carrying that big ass computer bag i like to bring it doesn't multitask though so you know, it's not. Well, it's, not, that, it's, it's, not that. it's not going to replace you. I mean, it's not a con, it, As people have been saying, in uh, in in you know, in legions and droves, it's it's a content um, consumption device, not a content creation device.
2: Right, but that's where it kind of falls down in terms of. I mean, I know Dave is optimistic about people writing apps for it that'll work, and I and I loved the story about how you were wishing for a bigger screen and wake up you know wake up a month later and there it is. But but uh,
1: I don't. I think that it would be much more useful as a content creation device. Mm. Not for most. Not for the most of us, I would have thought. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think the apps will make the difference, obviously, won't they? And it's got a gigahertz processor in it, so presumably it'll be able to run, you know, instruments with reasonable, um, with you know, quite reasonable amounts of uh, CPU to spare.
2: I want to run Ableton Live on it. I put it out there right now I want to run Ableton Live on this thing Um, You might be able to run an Ableton
1: Live controller on it
2: There's a hilarious video That's been edited that I found and posted Uh, It's on YouTube but I put it on my Facebook page Of uh, the whole presentation Distilled down to 180 seconds and it's nothing but a long series of closely edited superlatives and adjectives. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious to watch this thing because the rhythm of the way he gets it, and some of them are longer than others, and it's all got kind of a rhythm to it. It's really cool.
1: Oh, excellent. Yeah, I, I can imagine that would be quite easy. And, uh, and 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 yes, yeah, so there was the other joke, wasn't there? Which obviously Steve's been quite Steve Jobs has been quite ill recently, so and he's looking very small. So everybody just said, actually, it's just the same size as a normal iPod. It's just that <laughs> Steve has shrunk <laughs> so much that uh, right, he turns really sideways big. on stage and they're the same dimension. Yeah. He's about the same thickness, yes, about that.
0: Um, We've got a little compo going. The first oh, person like- to be seen walking around at one of the music shows, either Mesa or um, Nam, should be slapped.
1: Mesa, I think it's a possibility, isn't it? Is it just about Mesa? Music Mesa is coming up on the 23rd of March. So what did they say shipping? Tw- uh, f- 60 days, did they? Or was it 30 days?
0: I can't remember. I think it was around March sometime.
1: Oh, I wonder. They might We might actually see someone with a launch pad there. I bet you what they'll do is they'll send a couple of Apple people. They'll be wearing a black polo neck and just walking around looking cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. You think?
1: Maybe, yeah. Maybe, was, maybe not.
0: yeah. We were just kind of speculating on the type of person that will be seen walking around the trade shows with this. It generally came down to guitar centre personnel and various other people. We were like, yeah, we should just walk up behind them and slap them on the back of the head.
1: <laughs> Actually, if you sort of you put the thing end to end, it would make a sort of paddle type of, it uh, would look a bit like a paddle, wouldn't it? iPaddle, they could call it, couldn't they? (laughs) Use it for spanking. No, let's not go there either. (laughs) We've done it. I mean, I felt we had to talk about it. I mean, um, we haven't given it a great deal of credence, but I think we will see... I I think it will uh, undoubtedly um, have a couple of killer apps, and I'm I'm really hoping the Jazz Mutant people um, develop one of them because I can see that being an absolute killer with multi-touch and all that, and it would look lovely. Um, anyway, so um, what's our next one? Oh yes, Rich, you sent this link a couple of weeks ago, but we missed it. Uh, it just got, came a bit late to go in last week's show, and uh, this week uh, this is the um, the music de enhancing software, and it's called Dream On Pro, and it's on a uh, site called the Internet Now in HandyBookForm com. Schmapple, which is a sort of fake Apple site. They've got a bunch of uh, products on there. But this is, looks a bit like a kind of reason stroke combinator type thing. And uh, the blurb goes like this. It says, kill hours and hours of your own free time believing that a single piece of good-looking software is your key to stardom. Then, after months of fiddling, end up with that track that sounds exactly like it was stolen wholesale from somebody way more talented you- than you, but from three years ago. And there are, th- there are several um, brilliant modules. Uh, I particularly like the Unfunky Drummer. And it has knobs, uh, the amount of Ringo, the amount of girls from the girl from Bangles, Rick Allen or Mick Fleetwood, you can you can add uh, the drum. There's a drums knob, which starts at small kit and goes to tons of drums. And then at it's further extremity uh, is big gong. <laughs> and then there's also an IQ knob. Uh, Potentiometer as well which I quite like and uh, what's the other one Um, make sound like uh, which is called a creative difference engine uh, which it it, uh, shreds the unified band and and attempts to stack it back together again stick it back together again in time for an album release release there are ego (laughs) controls there's a drug dealer control which has distance and frequency and an argument (laughs) section which has volume punch and decay (laughs) well
2: my favorite my favorite bit about this particular module is that on the metering there is a meter for environmental pronouncements uh, and on the far yeah, right yeah, there see. are two knobs for political views the left and the right <laughs>
1: <laughs> excellent <laughs> i'm like, the excellent tighter excellentizer as well there's uh, with various buttons that you can flip between 80s german bass solo extra five percent quincy jones mark ronson and uh, finally, the Bronski beatbox, which uh, just has the caption, gay beats to make it rain men on the dance floor, <laughs> which, which kind of, I, I, quite, I quite like that. Um, but it's a brilliant idea. Um, and it's sort like,
2: of. it's they cleverly based it on guitar rig and uh, reason.
1: Yeah. It's kind of, is you. that what it actually, is that where the bits have been taken from? It, it looks kind of. That's li- what I see. But it's, it's quite funny because in some way, obviously, it's just a straight parody and, uh, and has a lot of hilarity about it. But there's also a kind of underlying thing which I thought was quite interesting because it's not far from what we're actually trying to do with kind of making our computers and our music making that's in computers sound more human and essentially flawed. So in some ways, you sort of want... You would Having an unfunky drummer would be, wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? Because you could actually just take sort of straight rhythms and just turn them into something a little bit sort of less than spot on mm. is there anything out there that does that there must be i mean apart from just bad programming i'm sorry mm. that
2: takes what
1: that takes back that takes just a straight beat that's kind of got nothing to it and sort of just makes it a bit le- bit less perfect but sort of in a kind of human way that's a bit more kind of you know in a- in the way that perhaps the unfunky drummer could do if it was applied everything, properly every- everything will do that <laughs>
2: No, I'm you, serious. I could do that in almost any. What do you, you, you want to use? Stylus, stylus, RMX, or Pro Tools? I can do it anywhere. I can do I'm that Stylus, does
1: it does have a? It does have a <laughs> uh, humanize and randomize function, doesn't it? Stylus, it does. yeah, it does, and a randomizer, yeah. But but I mean, even these days, I find that I
2: randomize certain things uh, in the quantizing, just because I don't want it straight up. Right. Okay. And I don't really care how it's not straight up, as long as it's not more than so much straight up.
1: <laughs> you know, so far, you so far. what would you kind of select particular beats or accents and just kind of go look just do what you want with those and see what it sounds like
2: i might ask it to randomize the snare drum listen to a few bars and decide which ones i like for example
1: right okay and then uh, and then just sort of repeat that feel
2: well go find you know construct it out of what it's made i don't have to use everything it's made but find the ones i like string them together um, you know, do the same with the hi hats, and I might, I might do that in drum programming. Eh, not quite so much usually, but
1: sometimes. What's an interesting you know, idea, sometimes. isn't it? I suppose. I mean, there could be there could be a market for um, algorithms that are more random. You know, because everybody kind of um, says, "Oh, the what's well, in there." The it's the all MP, in there. the MPC quantile. yeah, but but actual specifics, almost specifically. Uh, Um, what am I thinking Uh, ones which have specific algorithms I haven't seen those I mean maybe that's just something I need to play with more I mean because you get randomised but uh, randomised in a particular way rather than just randomised so
2: so like the Russian dragon for people with a limp
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea of limping drummer There you go. Just make it less in time, please. (laughs) You know, the guy from that, there's a famous
2: picture in the United States from the Revolutionary Times of three guys walking down the street in revolutionary garb, and one guy's playing a fife, and another guy's got a drum on his thing, and the other guy's got a crutch, and he's he's all wrapped up. That would be the other drummer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One's always (laughs) enough. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no, Dave, do you do, do you do kind of much humanising? Because obviously you play stuff in, one, one plays something in, and then you know, the temptation is to sort of straighten it out a bit. I mean, I, m- my kind of approach now is to try and just get a tape that sounds pretty good and just stick with it, so treat it more like tape, even with MIDI. But if you've got something that is straight and you wanted to kind of randomise it a little bit, how would you approach that?
0: Uh, in Logic, I go into the Transform, and then I can randomise stuff by the amount of ticks that I want. Uh-huh. that's that's not a programming reference that's a reference to the amount of um, <laughs> slices on the grid but um yeah no i'll do it that way john
1: van eten in the chat room says you've never found the drunk option in pro tools i think that's quite <laughs> now that, i don't think that's a bad idea you know
0: but uh, <laughs> and, and it's interesting you know a million years ago i used to do those midi files where we take real musicians and give them the various midi controllers and actually, one of the big things that we did was, you know, tons and tons of drums from Bruford right the way through to people like Andy Dean, all sorts of guys. Yeah. And what was really fascinating is, I mean, obviously, because of the MIDI timing delay or the triggering delay in some of the early kits, I'd have to go in and tighten things up and tweak things around. But what was really fascinating is, after a while, I learnt where certain players would accentuate bass drum beats or be ahead of the bar or behind the bar and stuff like that. And that was always really intriguing.
1: I suppose yeah, you have to get quite deep in before you start recognizing those sort of patterns, don't you? It
0: was good actually, in a in a as part of a very sad career. That was, <laughs> that, was that was a bit of fun. I used to <laughs> have. Well, that was a great find, Rich. I, I can
1: I, and there was some there was some brilliant uh, controls in there, and and uh, it was worth checking out the stuff that's just on Schmapple as well. There's uh, a Steve Jobs Ultra Pro, which uh, I quite liked at nine hundred ninety nine thousand dollars. And if you follow other links, they do they do some other sort of comedy. Um, Type sites and there's this one called Amass Zone, as in Amazon, and uh, one of the books there is uh, featuring images from the Hubble Endoscope, <laughs> which I just just made me laugh a lot. I don't know why. It's it's probably <laughs> it's not actually very funny, but it's I just like the the idea of the sort of wonder of space and then actually turning it around and. Um, well, how am, I, how am I trying to put this? You know How, how people can get so obsessed with the minutiae, and uh, that's often called uh, disappearing up one's own endoscope, as it were. It's a nice juxtaposition, I thought. But uh, yeah, good find, Rich. I've never seen that site before. Is there someone you visit often, or did uh, someone else point you on to that one? Uh, it was pointed there. Well, um, I think before we move on, it's uh, probably a good time to introduce our sponsor for the show. And once again, we'd like to say thank you very much to Yamaha.co.uk, their continued sponsorship of the show. We really do appreciate it. Obviously, um, what they want to tell you about is uh, they've got a Yamaha Download podcast, which is a monthly podcast featuring artists, music production techniques, all sorts of gear, information, and generally sort of interesting interviews and stuff. Uh, you, can ju- you can get that directly from YamahaDownload.co.uk, or if you want to do it via us, which means that we get to attributed with the click and it's easy for them to follow, go to sonicstate.com slash Yamaha and that will give you a, a sort of bounce page where you can click to go and have a look at the podcast. You can listen to it live on the site, I believe, and it's also available on iTunes. We should be about in the period or of certainly approaching one of a new episode. I'll find out what it is uh, for next week and uh, let you have a bit of a preview of uh, what topics there are. You can also hook up with their newsletter, monthly newsletter, um, which is another good way of keeping an eye on what Yamaha's up to, um, please go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, and there's a link there. You can then receive a monthly newsletter, and of course uh, as we're heading up to the Music Mesa, you'll be able to get an idea of what kind of products are coming out, probably before we do actually, because they do apparently let them out a little bit early into the newsletter, so check it out and we hear there are going to be new products for Mesa too. So we'd like to say thank you very much to Yamaha.co.uk for sponsoring this show, and uh, we look forward to seeing what you've got to offer at Mesa. Okay, um, this next one is pure Surely a reason for me to play this track. As you know, it's one of my favourite... I I think I've played it a couple of times in the history of the podcast, and I'll play it again now. About actually, I'd love to play that to the end because I love the bit where she goes, ow! And um, I love rock and roll, of course, being the chorus. That was Joan Jett, um, who uh, I believe, Rich, you've actually worked with in the past, but uh, she speaks. Joan Jett speaks, and she's uh, currently... Promoting a film, there's actually uh, a film that's. It's called The Runaways, and it's a hot ticket biopic which Kirsten Stewart plays Jet as one of the founding members of the 1970s all-girl punk group. And uh, I've been looking into this a bit, and um, there's there's quite a lot of footage of Joan being interviewed. And she sounds like kind of quite a right-on and sort of aware kind of person, but. The whole thing that she's um, that she's saying in this interview, which was kind of caught my eye, which is uh, she's uh, one of the quotes she says: "The press has taken the word rock and destroyed it. Food rocks, clothes rock, pop stars rock. No, pop stars pop. Rock stars rock is what she says, which I think is a, is a great quote. It means nothing, so you might as well just stop using it in context with music. And then I've put blesser, which is probably a bit uh, patronising. But and so the film, I believe, is uh, is coming quite soon." Uh, the last album that I think Joan Jett has, uh, was released was in 2006, which was the first in 10 years, and it's called and uh, It's quite a rocking album by all accounts. I heard a couple of clips earlier, but my network was a bit funny. So uh, really, it was more to do with um, the idea of what is going on with, uh, with rock. Has it been devalued? Do you think it's all a bit sort of... Has she got a point, or um, should we just consign that as uh, a reason for me to play I Love Rock and Roll? <laughs> Rich, i think she's got a point you think she's got a point it's just she's got a, do. it's
0: just a word though sure it's all no i mean i was you know you know my vibe we talked about this before as soon as you know the hendrix stuff was used on an audi advert it was just like oh god now everything's kind of you know becoming homogenized and we talked about databasing before and it's just all i'll tell you what really struck me and has struck me over the last couple of years going to nam is branding is everything I mean, seeing the John Lennon tour bus sponsored by Gibson, Yamaha, everybody else, it's just like, oh, come on. Nothing is sacred. And that's my own personal view, and I'm sticking with it. Well,
1: I think it gets that extra 10% or 20% of people out. And to your event or taking notice, but you, you've probably got a point there. And I think she's got a point there as well. And I think um, one of the reasons, she, you know, she has been gigging pretty much the whole time, as far as I can tell. You know, she still kind of works hard and kind of gets on with it and obviously likes to rock. And I saw, uh, why well, I got that sound clip, I, I, I ripped off the uh, a YouTube clip of the Joan Jet and the Black Blackhearts, um, which was a part of one of the, uh, oh God, Bill and Ted's, I think, Excellent Adventures, or maybe it was Wayne... Wayne's World. Wayne's World, that was it. I think it was Wayne's World, actually. And she was in it, and she looked absolutely awesome, I have to say. She's, she just looks very rock and roll, and I, it, just, it did it for me anyway. But um, I think she has although, a point.
0: Although she does look a little bit like that bloke from The Mighty Boosh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Noel Fielding, I think you mean. <laughs> yes. I, no is, I think in is. the hair, hair department, I don't think the face. Her, her, she's got no, her face is nowhere near as pointy as his.
0: And she doesn't look like she's quite as dead as he looks. No, I'm being facetious. I think, um, actually, reading that was really interesting. I think she's got a good vibe about her and if she's the real deal. I mean, like, you know, we know I work with Debbie Harry, but but Debbie was the real deal. She was a real out-and-out rock and roller. And it's so refreshing when you work with people like that.
1: Yeah, it's, I guess it's sort of a, an intro. It's like the uh, you know the people. I'm I sort of tend to keep things very safe and sort of uh, don't don't push the boat out too much. Whereas if you know, it, yeah, there, there's another personality type that will just go for everything, and you kind of the consequences just roll at you. And and sometimes it just works, or, it, or often it just works out because
0: you've got the right kind of energy. Yeah, and what was awesome with her is like if we ran into a problem with gigs, say that you know the power supply was a bit all over the place, and certain sequences weren't happening in certain songs, she'd just turn around and go cut that shit out and just go straight into a sort of hardcore rock number and there was no attitude it was just you know no kind of prima donna vibe just rock and roll and they were the fun gigs they were the really fun gigs
1: where you just it worked anyway yeah yeah in spite in spite of wrestling with the technology
0: yeah i mean time to kind of make things catch up and whatnot but meanwhile she was straight into i don't know rip her to shreds or whatever great mm. good fun i get the feeling that jones has a similar kind of vibe
1: i do but too hopefully, rich
0: Richard no know more,
1: more. well are you you
2: d- did you work on a particular album i worked on the album right after i love rock and roll i worked in the studio where that was recorded yeah
1: ah uh, okay i'm trying was that 19 i can't remember what the next album i did have a, i tried to get a... the album the album that followed i love rock and roll which was not nearly as well
2: re- uh received was called
1: album ah. it had
2: a bright yellow cover and her jumping up and up with a gibson guitar on oh i remember the
1: picture when i was looking through but uh, i couldn't find a list that was chronologically ordered and put in simple simple easy cut and pasteable stuff that i can put in the show notes so it didn't make it
2: <laughs> so as regards the, so the broader social implications of rock and roll being marginalized through marketing techniques um I guess that's what I have to look forward to with anything. <laughs> I guess that's the best that happens. You know, I mean, look at John Lennon. You know, he's on a bus now. Um, you know, partnered with Gibson and two or three other dozen sponsors. And who can blame them? They need to keep the thing afloat. They need sponsors. I mean, I, I'm not mad about it. It's just what it is.
1: Well, that, that's a very good point. That's you know, in some ways, you know, if I'd written a song and Coke wanted to use it as a worldwide uh, marketing tool, I'd probably be thinking. That's absolutely fantastic news. That means I can, you know, I can afford to send my daughter to private school or buy a house or something, you know, and Uh, and ultimately, as record sales are kind of going down the toilet, that's pretty much all we got to look forward to, isn't it?
2: Well, you may recall that Barry Manilow wrote some of those celebrated early Coke jingles in the 70s. Um, and I'm sure was those are the gifts that keep on paying. Yeah, no those, wonder those he commercial looks so smart. Those <laughs> commercial gigs, and well, he also had a very successful solo career yeah, course, after yeah. he stopped being Bette Midler's musical director. But um, not that I'm any great fan of Barry Manilow. But you happened to mention co commercials, and he did some of them. Mm. Pretty sure he did. It's the real thing. If anybody remembers that, that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, he did a whole bunch of co- – you know, a lot of jingles, and jingles pay well. So anyway, as far as the broader social implications, yeah, I guess that like just like every other branding-type culture issue, if you're John Lennon, it becomes a marketable commodity apart from anything to do with the music you wrote or the talent you had or the things you said or anything like that. Um, From the standpoint of Joni, Joan... Is uh, a lovely lady, and I'm glad I know her. And I think she's got a very, very cool kind of specific talent. And uh, she's definitely not afraid to speak her mind. She's a boxer. You don't want. To oh, mess- she
1: look Yeah, she looked pretty buff actually in the interview don't I saw want with to mess the- with Joan. <laughs>
2: She's, you know, uh, I had a lot of fun and learned a lot working on that album. There was one really, really, if you want to hear an anecdote, there was one celebrated day when her producer, Kenny Laguna, wasn't getting what he wanted in a vocal. I don't remember which rock and roll shredding song this was, but uh, he wasn't getting the the attitude he wanted at the end of the song. And so he <laughs> lifted his finger off talked back, turned to us in the control room and said, Watch this. And pressed down the talk back and proceeded to work her into a frothing rage. <laughs> At which point he took his finger off the button and said, roll tape. And she sang it.
1: <laughs> and got did the take. Won. That sounds got like, it. isn't that like the, uh, who's the guy who did uh, Exorcist, directed the Exorcist and sort of, you know, would just make, make his, um, I his know actors. Him. Friedkin. Yeah, be very uncomfortable. Well, physically, I know and sp- mad. somehow
2: it doesn't surprise
1: me. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't lock you in a frozen room and get you to act.
2: <laughs> uh, no, but we did make a movie called Blue Chips together.
1: Ah. Anyway, I wanted to put that in, and it was primarily just an excuse to play I of Rock and Roll because I I, <laughs> I I don't have enough of that in my life, and any excuse uh, that's fine. I'll just do it. But so um, that brings us to our next uh, topic, which I think, Dave, you might well enjoy. I'm just going to play the beginning of it because it has a relevance. <laughs>
0: Chrysler Town & Country, with rotating seats and a pop-up table. Oh, and our gift to kids everywhere, serious
1: Backseat TV, at no extra charge. That's nice, and also... Hi,
2: my name's P. Hicks, this is an Optagon and uh, there's a new uh, TV commercial for Chrysler that has music in it that for some reason people are just dying to know where the music comes from and it's been explained to them that it comes from an octagon and apparently some folks refuse to believe or understand exactly what that means. They think it's from an old Tommy Dorsey record or something.
1: I won't play the whole thing, um, because it goes into quite detail about uh, what an Opticon is and where this thing, but apparently, you know, that's yet another example of the Optigon making it into mainstream media, which I'm sure, Dave, you will be delighted at the the, the sound of, uh, considering that you've got, haven't you got some Opticon-themed releases that that you spoke about at Nam recently?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Hopefully end of next week. Ooh, cool. I've been doing the website stuff for it. Oh, well, I mean, P is the world's foremost authority on the Opticon. Well, he's the
1: op- com guy, isn't he?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, uh,
1: But this this, yeah, apparently this one is a, a series... of the, 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 the stuff used in the Chrysler ad was uh, a series of one-bar big-band riffs agra- arranged by Art Depew. That sounds like a, a made-up name, in the style of Tommy Dorsey, strung together with a, either manually on Opticon or by assembling a set of Opticon loops. But... I, I, and when I was looking at this, I was thinking, "Hold on a minute." So I wonder where Chrysler, who Chrysler commissioned for this, and whether they actually paid them like a you know a sink fee, <laughs> and how that worked, or whether now they found out it was all taken from an Optigon, <laughs> Whether or not they're thinking, "Can we have some of our money back, please?" Because <laughs> this has happened quite a lot. You've sp- you've often spotted Opticons in uh, in in various TV sinks, haven't
0: you? Oh, completely. I mean, particularly with the. Um, You know, the Emtron rhythms and stuff like that, which is hilarious, really, because when we released the Emtron years ago, we got loads and loads of emails with the obligatory. It sucks because of these rhythms. And now, of course, you turn on the TV (laughs) and it's just like it's everywhere. All these rhythms are everywhere now. And it's brilliant because they're so indicative of a kind of spirit and of of a kind of time and place. And that's why I love them. Absolutely love them
1: they've got uh, without sounding sort of smutty they've got wood, and I mean that in the sense that you can hear the <laughs> the wood in the recordings you know you can the wood of the rooms the wood of the, the kind of al- almost the wooden recording equipment that was used to make them Do you know what i mean it's kind of got that sort of quality to all of that stuff, all yeah, of the oxygen stuff
0: immediately effective it's exactly the same with the tron rhythms, exactly the same it's some um, you know it's just immediate nostalgia there's some uh, we call them sad strings. And, um, you know, I've seen them on kind of World War II documentaries or World War I documentaries where they've got, you know, loads of dead people lying and they'll just have these kind of sad strings. And it's immediately, kind of, it's, it's a kind of, it's a very 30s kind of sound. I believe it was a few old ladies in a house in Liverpool. It was Costello I I told me that. Uh, I think it was his neighbours or something completely <laughs> mad. But, uh, yeah, it's amazing how this stuff just gets used. I think at the minute the Tron Tron rhythms are on, like Toblerone advert, uh, British Airways advert, John Lewis advert. It's just amazing. Easy money if you can get that gig in the first place. Yeah, well, I wondered about that. But
1: uh, it's sort of – what I I don't know, Rich. I mean, you're in the States. Is that kind of a big ad? Is it prime time? Is it everywhere? It probably is, isn't it? The Chrysler ad?
2: Um, I couldn't say. Asking me for broader social culture and stuff. And I'm <laughs> in the studio. Okay. I'm in the studio when that ad might be running. So oh, I, don't well, that's true, yeah. I, I literally don't know. But
1: it, it kind of raised, again, another broader point, which, you know, was Nam was full of vintage drum recordings and sample packs. You know, take the Epic Drums from Sonic Reality, which was uh, recorded by Ken Scott, and I did an interview with Ken and had a chat with him about the kind of process and all that sort of stuff. And it seems we can't get enough of this old type of sound. It's, it's sort of becoming even more specific now that uh, we're no longer kind of taking samples, or samples are perhaps more expensive. We're kind of craving this vintage sound everywhere. And it just... I wonder why uh, would be the first question. And also, why can't we create sounds for now so much? Um, well, maybe we
2: are. In other words, these, to those people, I mean, maybe when optics was made, it was sounds. But I mean, say, roll back 30 years, 40 years, and you're listening to music from the 30s and 40s that were recorded through you know charcoal microphones, ribbon microphones, horns, and things like that. They weren't creating sounds; they were doing the best they could at the time. Mm. You know what I mean. Now, today, we do create sounds, and uh, I think that there will be a shrine to G4 Software sometime in the future.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 uh, very small. <laughs> But is it, to, is it also down to the fact that there were just a few really classic spaces that were used that un, that, and only very few, really, sort of choices in terms of uh, recording equipment and what have you? So it had such a specific sound.
2: Yeah, because if you recorded it today down a horn into an Edison cylinder, you'd get a pretty interesting sound. You'd be using the Edison cylinder as a sound processing device. Hmm.
0: We, did, we did very similar on the Tron. Took a load of the – because a lot of people were taking the – A lot of people took the line out of an M400, let's say, and plugged that straight into a desk. But actually, if you go back to the Mark II, a lot of people were using the onboard speakers and recording that with certain mics and stuff like that, and we decided to kind of try and reproduce some of that because it has that very kind of hollow sound, very, um, I'm trying to think, moody blues type vibe. Yeah, 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 I understand. Like Like really bad speaker. I went there immediately (laughs) when you said hollow. Yeah, it's just got that kind of... It's just very characteristic, and immediately you hear it, you go, "Oh, that... And what I like is kind of juxtaposing that with fairly modern kind of contemporary-type sound or a very heavy-duty analog sound. I love all that. Mm. That's yeah, what gets The, the Octagon stuff is... I mean, there's just such a huge amount of discs, and they're all completely different and brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I mean, this... this I don't want to hark, about, hark on about our stuff too much, but... This really was a kind of labour of love. took me on and off four years to get everything to sit properly. So everything's at the same tempo. All the keys are kind of, you know, pitch shifted so they work. Uh, Went through tons and tons of uh, pitch shifting software and time stretching software until we found one that didn't introduce horrible artifacts. Um, And it really was a labour of love. Drove me completely nuts at times. But actually, when you start layering up, I don't know, I, I did it on the video you layer up some kind of... I mean, some of the stuff sounds like kind of 70s David Soul Reject album. (laughs) And then you layer that with a kind of big band beat, and all of a sudden you get this kind of new hybrid, but it's still got that kind of essence of oldness and loveliness and warmth.
1: Yeah. It's but interesting because, I, I mean, it's sort of it's the same's happening, you know, we're, still, we're seeing the same happening in uh, in plugins, in software, you know, the Waves collections, the stuff that's been done with uh, uh, Waves and, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the guy. Andy, what's the name of that engineer? Right. Eddie Kramer and the uh, Helios stuff, you know, just trying to get that, recreate mm. the sound of these things. I mean, partly because this stuff is just so hard to to, to, to source, presumably for a lot of people. That and the pie, com- you know, the pie compressor, all of that sort of thing, and and down to kind of the, the convolution of various spaces and particular cabinets and all that sort of thing. I mean, it's just it seems like we're we're kind of just. We, we're, we're data mining for the good stuff from the past a, a lot of the energy seems to be going into that there's not so much of the kind of new I suppose that you know searching for things from, from, uh, from technologically from a new point of view that's, that, that's, that's, that's happening so much I suppose it's cheaper would it be cheaper to, to, to kind of go back and figure out how to extract it from all that gear than it is to start from scratch well, you've got to find
0: the gear first of all yeah I wonder hard. whether it is that much it's probably similarly a similar price I've got two drum machines here uh, both chamberlain rhythm mates and one appears to have been a prototype from about 1949 and it's a single i think it's a one inch piece of tape with 16 tracks on it it's just in a box and it's a, it has the most amazing sound and when it came it came with another um another tape a spare tape that we put in yeah and that was amazing. It's just loads of Americana type sound effects, you know, trains passing by and sort of tugboat horns and stuff like that. And it's just, we just listened to it for a day, just going, wow, wow. And what's even more stunning is if we're correct in assuming that the first one is in 1949, that's pretty much two years after tape was invented. So Harry Chamberlain was on the cutting edge of that whole vibe, and the sound is amazing. The bottom end is unbelievably massive, and yet there's one from the 60s where it sounds like it was recorded from a microphone in another room, and there is no bottom end on it at all. It's very light and airy. Two completely different vibes, but equally brilliant.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? I just don't kind of... There's so much variation, even with such simple things like that. I mean, I suppose... Would they have used that kind of stuff as uh, maybe sort of like a card player for radio and sound effects for for live plays and all that sort of thing? Do you think that's what those tapes were doing there?
0: It's quite possible. I mean, I have no idea. I've tried to, you know, find out from the guy we bought it from what the kind of background was. But I think even he's, you know, reasonably unaware of... Where the stuff came from originally. And what's quite amazing stunning. is
1: those tapes can survive that long. Jesus. I mean, I've got some stuff that, you know, I, I was saying a few weeks ago I had to transfer some old 16-track uh, masters, which are only, you know, what, 20 years ago, and they're just falling to bits. And all yeah, gunked I mean, up and there,
0: nor- there is quite a lot of wow and f- on these. But for us, that's, if there, if there is a GeForce vibe at all, it's about trying to, take those old things and introduce them either to a new generation with the tron the tron was fascinating in that there were loads and loads of people who sent us um cds after we released it of their version of various prog rock classics and of course with chris and myself having worked with a lot of the progress we were kind of like yep next and then all of a sudden we got a flood of cds coming through from people who had none of that baggage from the past who were using it in a really new and exciting way. And for us, that was like, yes, we've kind of done, we felt like we'd done something.
1: Right. Yes, no, I can imagine it's like originating something or at least sort of bringing it back into into the, in, into the, uh, the public domain so that it, it can be reused in new ways. That's, a, that's an interesting. must be very exciting. satisfying. Just really exciting. Well... Yeah um anyway opticon.com um there's all the links to the video and quite a lot of blog posts from p hicks on you know that whole process and the chrysler out and what have you but kind of an interesting thing and um and also you know there's of course the novacord samples from hollow sun which ha- i think they finished them now they're available or certainly the first lot are available in contact form as far as i know i think we got a news item up about it just check sonicstate.com and, uh, and have a look and um I guess finally um, it's, it's the Grammys we should pr- perhaps pass it. I didn't watch it um, I do know that Imogen Heap won the best engineered non-classical album and she did that herself as well for Ellipse apparently she attended the ceremony in a Twitter dress which was a kind of she had a wireless um, router built in and people were, were sending twitpics to her Twitter account which were then being forwarded to a little uh, display in her purse so you know people could kind of participate on her red carpet moment which uh, sort of really sums up up her uh, getting of the whole social media because now she's got like, something like one and a half million followers on on Twitter, which is kind of uh, pretty astonishing, really. Awesome. So well done to her. <laughs> and um, there was some other ones: Kings of Leon, you somebody, uh, Taylor Swift, album of the year, song of the year, uh, Beyonce, Knowles, uh, various people I've never heard of. Um, but I just thought, how do you <laughs> how, how do you um, I should ask which anybody um, you've been involved with in there anywhere? Did you have any Grammy dust sprinkled in your direction?
2: No, I didn't, but a good friend of mine named Will Russell, who runs a recording studio called Electric Wilberland in upstate New York, had an album that he engineered
1: win a Grammy. Oh, nice.
0: Yeah.
2: So That's cool. Something on
1: your Will. Something for the hall, I it were. Yeah.
2: Well, I guess, yeah. I got.
1: Yeah, If you choose to put them up. <laughs> but yeah, of course you do. I've got, I've got mine up. i got mine up as well. Well, I haven't got a Grammy, but you know what I mean. I've got my sort of trinkets.
2: But I don't my, have an actual Grammy the certificate that says i worked on something that won a grammy.
1: Oh, cool. Well, yeah. but it, it it asked the question, how do you define a well-engineered album? I mean, you know, is it <laughs> how would if, you do that? I just it don't It sounds have, good. Yeah, I know, but if it sounds good, is that <laughs> yeah. But is that the well-engineered part, or is that the well-mixed part? You know, it's kind of, it's an interesting category, I thought. Uh, and I just wondered what everybody's thoughts were with this. Right. Dave, how would you define a well-engineered album? And uh, if you've got an example, that would be even better.
0: I do not really. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know, It's the truth. Uh, one that conjures up a vibe. Mm. That works for you. I mean, that Image and Heap album is, is beautifully produced and engineered. I mean, it's very intricate, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I, th- I think she uh, definitely deserved that.
1: Well, I think also, I mean, because uh, uh, it's sort of, it's almost it's almost like if you notice the engineering, then you probably, um, you, prob- you, you shouldn't, it probably wasn't very good. Do you know what I mean? If you notice that there's a sound a certain way, I don't know. It just seems like one of those things that it, it, it's, it's a weird category and a weird uh, award to give, or at least probably must be a very difficult award to judge because how do you, you have to differentiate between the production, the songwriting, and all the things that make you feel good about a piece of music or a piece of work, and sort of hone in on the specific technical side of it. And is that just the mastering, or is it, you know, which part of the engineering process? It just sounds like a kind of, hmm. Well, furthermore,
2: as evaluated by whom?
1: Well, exactly. I don't know who the panel is. Not
2: to to get too deeply into the what exactly is a jury of your peers, but evaluated by whom?
1: Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I didn't, and that's, again, some, something I haven't researched.
2: <laughs> that said, some very, very talented people, uh, present company excluded, have, have won these awards for work that they did that was good. Mm. You know, you, you hear of like Chuck Ainley and Ed Cherney and guys like that, you know, guys who really know where to put a microphone and how to deal with it once they've plugged it in.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that all of that skill almost is, is taken for granted as well. Well, isn't that just the the nature of the, you know? Yeah, I suppose so. The other thing, I I did want to mention one album, which I do remember being particularly well recorded, and that was um, KD Lang Ingenue. I remember listening to that on a pair of uh, electrostatic speakers that Andy had in a house that he was living in at the time, and and some sort of Krell amp, and it just you could sort of hear how tall the shaker player was you know, that kind of stuff. And the space and the room and just the sound of the guitars and everything was just so natural... And so beautifully put together, that struck me as being, you know, down to the recording. Because you know, you put sometimes you take a multi-track and you push the faders up, and it's all there. Other times you go, Christ, how did they get the mix out of this lot? You know. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I guess that would maybe the way that you define it. you'd have to listen to you'd have to listen to the multi-track, surely. Then you just push the faders up. If it's all there and it's beautifully recorded and everything was captured, then that would be a sign of good engineering, right?
0: That's my yeah. definition. Yeah, no, I think you could be right. It's interesting because I was talking to Chad Blake yep and chad won i think he did he got a grammy for the same uh, for the same category last year for that suzanne vega album so i went out and bought it and listened to it and actually yeah it is beautifully engineered Mm. i've not heard that very acoustic yeah um you know very acoustic very just vibey really makes you kind of go hmm similarly to that amy album Uh it was at that moment in time that amy album was just sort of it just made everybody kind of go wow well, it sounds like it, the moment was captured, which mm. I guess is
1: about good engineering, right? Capturing that performance.
2: It's a lot of things. It's not one thing. That's why I said, you know, kind of jokingly earlier, you know, if it sounds good, because it almost doesn't matter if the record works as a production. It almost doesn't matter what kind of songs are on it or how good the performances are. Does it sound good? Does the work that the guy who recorded it did support the overall needs of the production well? whether the production Mm. succeeded or not. Mm. Of course, the ones that don't succeed don't tend to get considered, do they? (laughs) But but nevertheless, I mean, if you're asking me what good engineering is, that's, I mean, in a very broad sense, it's doing things, whatever things those may be, to support the overall forward motion and success of the project.
1: It must have been hard for Imogen Heap to be considered alongside stuff that was... Obviously well-engineered, you know, like, you know, a Nashville recording where the whole lot are playing in one room and it's a kind of beautiful sounding ensemble, whereas hers, which was obviously all put together and largely electronic. That's going to be a tough gig to get, actually, uh, uh, to, uh, you know, judgment to make.
2: Right. Well, I often kind of uh, bemoan the nature mm. of the fact that I end up now recording more or less one thing at a time most of the time, if not all the time. Mm. Oh, that reminds
1: me, your, how did your base session go? It went great. Excellent. Fantastic. And which, which, which path did you choose in the end? API 512C yep. to Mario
2: Labs ADL 1000 compressor, straight in. Ah, so you didn't go for the Neve route. Interesting. Didn't decide, I decided. Not, I decided to use API. And it's just punchy and clear and wonderful and magnificent. And I can't say enough about the sound of the 512C or of that uh, four racks bass thing, the number of which now escapes me.
1: Oh, and Stay. by the way, uh, we See, were wondering whether it was a four or a five or even a six string bass that might be uh, happening on the day. Can you enlighten us? I'm remembering now. It may,
2: it wasn't more than five, and I think it was four.
1: Ah, oh, I
2: It may have been five. I'm not sure. And uh, the API and Demaria
0: performed magnificently, and the whole thing sounded great. Excellent. uh, And that's good engineering. There we go. To make those choices. I've been in loads of sessions where things have been average, and the guys, generally the producers, gone, why don't we try that, Mike? And then all of a sudden it comes alive.
1: Mm. Uh, Yeah, that's true. Knowing to make the, yeah, quite. The right calls. The right path. Sometimes it's more to do with having
2: changed something than which thing you changed.
1: Yeah. Mm.
2: In other words, that's very it, zen, isn't it? That sounds yeah, like something well, that uh, David just,
1: Carradine would have been uh, would have been told at uh, sometimes. The end of- <laughs> you just need a sort of a spiritual shift in the room. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, that's that's also got to. Got I mean, if you're using a button full of
2: good gear, like like if you were plugged into the magnificent huge Neve console, and the producer said, "You take that, take down that," you know, ELM. 251 and put up uh you know an m49 and let's see what that's i mean in other words when you're talking about different versions of amazing gear then sometimes i wonder if it has more to do with the the emotional flow on the session than it has to do with the specific pieces of gear
1: Mm. i wonder if the increase in sample rates kind of can record the uh, difference in emotion more effectively now there's a question to ponder perhaps a good one to end the uh, the show on because um, it's now about that time so uh, thank you very much to everybody for joining us in the chat room we've had a, quite a bumper amount this week so thanks very much we record the transcript every week because uh, it's kind of fun to read uh, while, you're, while you're listening to the show if you're not there live and you can kind of figure it out uh, you can sort of see how the ebb and flow of stuff went but anyway um, thank you very much to everybody in the chat room for listening uh, sonicstate.com slash live uh, that 4pm Wednesday afternoons uh, where you can hear is coming and also thanks very much to uh, my live guests i'm really sorry that pj couldn't make it this week we're gonna have to figure out why he can't get back to us on skype but uh, pj um i hope you didn't get up too early and then were thwarted at the last minute but thanks to my live guests who are still here uh, rich hilton from myspace.com forward slash hiltonius thank you very much rich for joining us my pleasure uh, some interesting ground covered this week, I think. And uh, from, a, from a rather disparate uh, list of uh, topic topics, I think we managed to retrieve quite a lot of phoenix-like uh, spirit from the ashes of my, okay. terrible, <laughs> my terrible research. So thank you very much for that. And thank you very much to Dave Spears from GeForce Software. Um, thank you. And uh, I hope your patch creation for the Imposca goes on a pace. And we're looking forward to release of the, the new... Um, I can't remember what it was called now. Op- what did you call the new sound sound stuff?
0: Oh, it's an Optitron expansion pack for the Emtron Pro. Optitron expansion
1: pack for the Mtron Pro. Okay. The M-tron Pro. The GMedia, uh, sorry, wow. G4software.com. I'm sure you'll all be heading over there now to pre-order. I know I will. No, 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 don't oh. do that now. Oh, no, know, not now. No, don't do that now. <laughs> do that next week when it's announced. Watch this. Keep an eye out for the Sonic State news, and uh, we'll let you know when when they're ready. But thanks very much to everybody. Thanks, Dave. And thanks, uh, Rich, once again. And thanks to our sponsors, Yamaha.co.uk. Remember, if you want to see what we were talking about in the little ad slot in the middle of the show, go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha for the podcast and the newsletter. That's it.